All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Talent Acquired. I'm your host, Chris Nikiso with Chris Edward Consulting. And today we've got not only a friend, someone I've worked with for a while, but also a featured guest, Leah Harrigan, who is now the founder of Career Co-Pilots. And Leah, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. I'm so happy you're here. We get to riff on one of these sessions. So welcome. Wonderful. I appreciate it, Chris. I know we've had a pretty good time over the last Gosh, seven years? It's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to say give or take a year on either side because it's just now the days and the hours and the minutes become one almost and you just, I'm losing track. So I'd say that's probably all right. I think so as well. (laughs) So I'm pleased to be one of your guests. So that way we can continue to have a little bit of fun on the other end here and share a little bit about what we know. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm going to do is really kind of give the audience here some context and background to the amount of experience you come with in the talent acquisition site, both from the agency staffing side and then direct end user partner uh, side. So you start out at Altus HR, which is one of the top 50 Canadian staffing and recruitment firms out there doing that for a while. And then you make the move to Google, which everybody knows Google. And you go to the end user talent acquisition partner side. And for those who don't know what that is, really... Leah was there to help internally go out and bring people into Google. So what's interesting about this is, you know, when you're on the end user side, you really get an understanding of how the organizations are working. And Leah, you do that in a contract role. Then you do the same position at Smart Technologies as a talent acquisition partner, which is where we met. And have continued our relationship over the years. And then from there, you go to Bayer, which goes back to the agency recruitment side. And you do that for a while. And then you go to WestJet. And you go back to the end user talent acquisition partner side. And all this said here, coming full circle now, you know, this has kind of led to you starting your own business consulting firm with over 10 plus years of agency and end user recruitment experience, all to get to this point where now you've started your own consulting firm, Career Copilot. So first off, congratulations. I couldn't be happier for you, especially because I know how many people you are going to be helping and are already helping. But also tell us a little bit about what Career Copilot is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Career Copilot. It's a career coaching company. And a lot of times some people go career coaching. What is career coaching? Um, For me, it's a wide variety of things. So I came to realize that I've got about 12 years of recruitment experience, in-house recruitment, agency recruitment. I've got a lot of insight regarding what is a hiring manager looking for? When people in recruitment are looking at your resume, what are they looking for? Mm -hmm. So I've converted that into a business that allows me to give that behind the scenes knowledge to those people who are looking. Often people come to me, they want a resume, they want their LinkedIn, they want their cover letter sorted. Other times it's, I just scored this interview with my dream company and I don't want to mess it up. What do I do? Help me in the interview process. And to me, the most exciting part is when we're working with each other, there's always something more, right? Have my clients really appreciated the achievements that they have, right? Do they really understand what makes them the best candidate for the role? Mm. And it's helping them understand from a recruiter's mindset how to position that. So 
they can be the top candidate at the end. Yeah. And then my favorite part at the end of all of it is when I get that call from my client and they've received the job offer and I quickly say, don't accept it immediately, right? Let's have a discussion. And then I help my clients with the offer negotiation to make sure that when they're selecting a job at the end of it, it's not just accepting the first offer, but it's accepting the offer for the role that they love and that they want and at the price that they feel valued for. And to me, that's exciting. That's fantastic. And it's funny because it's kind of like the whole dating analogy. And I'm going to bang that drum because there's just it's so accurate is we can all give advice to our friends in dating. But the second you start going on a date, it's like all that goes out the window. And that's kind of like interviewing for a job, right? Yeah. It's now on you. (laughs) And so we forget these little attention to details that actually make a pivotal point within that process of us landing the job. Are we talking too much? Yeah. It's that whole scene from Wedding Crashers. You know, do I do the ass out hug? Do I not? Do I say hi? Do we like each other? Do we not? What do I do? And it's kind of one of those things. And I think that's where I've always valued your experience because it comes from both sides. And that to me is an interesting combination when you go about consulting professionals. So what I wanted to talk to you about today on this topic because of your background is really how the landscape has changed in talent acquisition. When I was a kid, to give the audience perspective, I was giving a resume, three copies to a potential employer. You know, I was getting it, I was either faxing it over, printing out copies, you know, I was walking in suited and booted. And now things have dramatically shifted. You know, now you're uploading your resume into an ATS. LinkedIn at times is a resume. You're not always having to dress up in a suit. You know, now you've got video conferencing that's taken a big part of hiring now. And sometimes you don't even go in and physically meet given the circumstances that have happened over the last, you know, 18 months. So from your experience, you know, how much has the landscape shifted and where are we going? Well, first I would say, Chris, you're aging us. <laughs> you're not supposed to show that you're not supposed to show that side of us. We're hip and modern still. But you make a really good point, right? When things when I had started in the staffing industry, it was very manual, right? Like one person would check the facts. And even if it wasn't a fax, it was so common to print yeah, your right. resume, right? Like you print your resume and you would go hand deliver it to places. A hand delivered black and white copy of a standard resume. Yeah, there was no color back then. No, it was like, well, if there was color, you better not use the whole coloring from the printer. That stuff's expensive, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and that's how we were raised. You have to use it mindfully. So you better really want that job if you're using that one. But no, it was black and white. It was that hand delivering. And you would bank on the idea that if you delivered it, it was going to get into the hands of the right person. And often it sat on a receptionist's desk, right? Nobody really knew what to do with them. And then fast forward and you started having things like LinkedIn. And LinkedIn has remained an incredibly powerful tool Mm -hmm. in the job search. All of a sudden, instead of doing your handed off resumes, you would email them. And now we don't even really do emailed resumes. Everything is going into an ATS or an applicant tracking system, right? It's kind of that resume database to capture all people who want to work at this company. And to me, it's just so interesting to see how technology is really elevating the whole recruitment process. And to me, it's we've got so much more work to do in the space and there's so many more changes 
But I think the item that I noticed that has changed the most is it's that always on job searcher, right? Mm. It's having something like a LinkedIn. You can be found at any hour of the day, whether you're looking or not. There's this appetite to always see what's out there, whether it's from a recruiter standpoint, say, oh, I wonder who's out there, right? And who I can find on LinkedIn, who I can find through networking, who I can find through social media, who could be a good fit. And it's also, I would say on the other side is you've got this job searcher who might bounce around a little bit more than they used to in their job because you see the vast offering of companies where before you didn't read, before you really didn't know all the companies, right? You didn't have that opportunity to work for anybody in any area. And I think technology has allowed us that chance to do it. And I couldn't agree more with you on that. So this kind of goes into the, the next question. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are just starting to get onto LinkedIn or who have been using it for a while and maybe not understanding of LinkedIn. But I would ask you this, how important is LinkedIn to professionals nowadays as they look to get into new opportunities or even build out their professional kind of, I guess, digital resume? It's huge. (laughs) It's absolutely huge. And I say that knowing it's like, how did I get that job at Google? Right? Google called. How did they call? They reached out to me through LinkedIn. Oh, did they really? Yeah, they reached out to me through LinkedIn. And I have to be honest, when I saw it, I thought, man, this is a scam. And they got my hopes all up and I'm all excited. And then I realized that it wasn't a scam, that Mm. legitimately massive companies are still proactively recruiting people that they want to come join them. So LinkedIn remains such a hot tool. And I think the main difference is it's when a company posts a job, you know, it's whoever looks at that in the next two weeks and puts in their resume. Yeah. And sometimes the best people aren't actually actively looking. So if they're not actively looking, where do we find them? LinkedIn, right? So what I think is neat is it's such a pivotal tool to display yourself and what you've done. and stay open to opportunity because a lot of the opportunities I've seen have come through LinkedIn. And even if I post a job and somebody applies and their resume is great, what do I do? I go check them out on LinkedIn, right? So to me, they always go hand in hand. You still need the resumes and you still need those documents because companies are going to ask you for them. And at the same time, you need to make sure your LinkedIn is displaying yourself as you choose to show up, right? What story do you want to tell? Because to me, that's what LinkedIn is for. Yeah, that's a good point. And that kind of segues into the next, you know, really key piece of LinkedIn while we're on this topic is I'm going to keep this very baseline, but is there a science to how you position yourself on LinkedIn? I think it depends what you want to call science. (laughs) Science in, I don't think that there's a magic formula for people to be using. What I do think is important though is for people to show their personality on it, right? You've got a photo on there, you've got an opportunity to add a profile, and it really gives you that chance to explain a little bit more of who are you? Besides your job title, who are you? And it gives you that opportunity to explain things that you've done. What are you excited about? What are your values? How do you choose to position yourself? So I don't know if you'd call it a science, right? I would say... Well, we get into like keyword searches and stuff like that. I have keyword searched some intense things. Mm. So in some of my roles, I know I want the person who's an achiever. If I'm hiring a sales role, 
I'm sorry, I want the one who's been winning President's Club. I want the one who's attained or exceeded quota. Those are all things you can search on, keyword search and LinkedIn. But there are still people that don't understand. Like, for example, like you said, they don't have a profile picture. You know, it's funny. Most people now go to LinkedIn for deals. Like, who's the decision maker? Oh, Leah. Oh, let's see the about section. Now I can find something in common with her to have build that relationship and understand what her challenges are in her business and maybe where our solution fits. You're trying to understand where those people are coming from. So it's interesting you say those things. My other question too is the summary portion of it. You kind of touch base on the picture part. Is there too long? Is there too short? In your opinion, what you're helping out professionals, what are you asking them to put in a summary? My advice is if somebody has to start scrolling down and scrolling down and scrolling down, your summary's too long, right? To me, it's important to give them, maybe give them a small paragraph, give them enough that shows that you've been mindful in what you've chosen to put in that section. For me and a lot of the executives I've even worked at, there's often this, what's your philosophy? What's your brand? Who do you want to be? What are your values? What's important to you? And to me, that's a really great space to do that. It's an opportunity to highlight the things that maybe don't show up in a job description. And to me, that's a really powerful spot to put it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I do, as a recruiter who helps companies identify talent, I actually enjoy reading people's summaries. So as we transition in this conversation, you know, we could talk about LinkedIn all day. And for those who will have questions or just more interest regarding LinkedIn, I will be putting Leah's contact information in this podcast so you all can reach out to her. But what I wanted to get to now is regarding landscape change with regards to talent acquisition. Back then, we were physically going into interviews. How we dressed was much different. What are you seeing now, especially with regards to video conferencing being utilized with professionals that are inhibiting them from getting jobs or positions that they desire, essentially. I think people are getting too casual. (laughs) There's a balance, I think, that needs to happen. What do you mean too casual? Just to clarify. Too casual. So if you're interviewing and you're on a video interview, that's still an interview. And I think because people are in the comfort of their own home, which has some great aspects about it, I think people forget that they're not coming prepared how they choose you for an interview if they were in person. Have Do you look the part that you're interviewing? Are you focused? Are you dedicated? Are you giving them 100% of your presence? Are you checking your phone in the middle because it's a habit that people have gotten used to? You wouldn't do that in a face-to-face interview, right? And I think there has to be a little bit more mindfulness on being present in that interview space. Mm. What does your background look like? Are your pets right beside you trying to make their own debut, right? Because there's an opportunity, I think, to reposition and put your best foot forward. And I think people sometimes forget that when it's a video interview. So where do you stand? Because this could be enhance our friendship or this could be like oil and vinegar. So where do you stand on how like some, you said dress the part, elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting debate, one that I actually had last week with three other career coaches, and we all had a very different opinion on it. Yeah, I'm curious where this one goes, because I have my own thing too, so I'm curious. (laughs) I'm curious to see where your thought goes. You want to make sure that you're addressing the part for the role that you're interviewing for, and maybe one step above. All right, so hear me out on this. 
I don't think every interview needs to be done in a suit and a tie, right? I don't think every interview needs to be done in a suit and a tie, a blazer, a jacket. I think you have to read the audience of where you're interviewing. So an example, like when I was recruiting at Google, I actually kind of liked if people came with a suit jacket and a nice shirt, leave your tie at home. We're not a tie environment, right? To help our guests understand, ties are dead officially. I think so. I think ties are dead and so are... No, our friendship is still intact right now. So that's good. My opinion on this is strong enough that even if our friendship wasn't intact, I'd still have the same opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you need a tie anymore to prove that you're worth a job, right? A lot of the environments now aren't suit and tie. A lot of the environments are not wear a black suit and a white shirt. We're not a server. We're not looking for that role that requires that. I think throughout the whole job search, there's been a lot more focus on being who you are and showing up as you are and maybe one step above, right? So so what's the attire? Google, for example, jeans and t-shirt. Okay, so jeans and t-shirt for Google. Jeans and t-shirt for Google. So to me, I say throw a jacket on, right? Take it one step further than what you'd show up with. Read your audience. I've worked in agriculture. If somebody came in in a full suit and tie, we would go, I don't know if they understand that this is agriculture. We deal with humble and kind farmers. Mm-hmm. I don't need you out walking in with a suit because they're going to get really quite intimidated because it's not the environment that we work within. And at the same point, like think of, I've got other clients that are going for interviews at law firms. That's still a suit and blazer environment. So mimic what it is that you're seeing. And you help people. It doesn't matter. what. See, I'm more in the technology sector. You're anywhere and everywhere, correct? Correct. So you're going to have a more case-by-case basis. I'm giving more advice in the technology sector. And, you know, usually what I'm telling folks is a golf shirt's fine. So at the end of the day, it really just comes down to being presentable. And I agree with you. I think a lot of times folks are not reading the room, you know, like you perfectly said it. You know, if you're in agriculture and you dress in a suit, you're probably not going to be really dressing for the environment that you're about to be in. And then the same with like in technology, And so, yeah, I wouldn't say wear basketball shorts or anything like that, but really be presentable at the end of the day. But also, too, on top of that to add is really it's about who you are and how you're describing what you've accomplished. I think that's really where I do not see a lot of candidates do that as well as they should be. And I think they're giving responses that they think companies want to hear. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's an interview, but really being true to who you are is key because that's how you find the match at the end of the day when you are looking for an opportunity. I think too many times people land in the wrong role because they're selling themselves to something or not. If you say from a sales standpoint, you're a hunter and you're really a farmer, you're telling a company what they want to hear, but that's not really going to benefit you because when you get in that job and you shit the bed, you're out there looking for a new job. So I think the biggest thing is really being true to yourself and being authentic when you're in this interviewing process. And which leads me into my next question regarding the difference between in-person interviewing and video interviewing, you know, given your years of experience interviewing professionals, what are candidates today having challenges with? I find that it's longer because they're sometimes not reading the body cues, Uh, right? If you're face to face in an interview and you see that person start to fidget with their pen, you go, oh, I maybe talked a little too long. <laughs> Reel it back for the next one. And I think people and I think people aren't reading the cues the same way. 
And whether it's nervousness because they can see themselves, they can't see that body language. I think people have to be mindful that all those body language items are still there and you need to be mindful of them. Are their eyes shifting of the person you're interviewing? Are they starting to look away? Are they starting to look down a whole lot? Those would all be really good indicators to kind of wrap up that answer. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like because you're staring into a camera, they really don't know where you're looking. So that's actually a good opportunity for anybody who's interviewing to be able to pick up on those things. Yeah. To see, are they fidgeting? Are they engaged? You know, sometimes the camera angle isn't faced directly at them and they may be looking away, but it's actually at the camera. But I feel like that gives professionals an advantage too. And I'm assuming you coach on stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just such an important part of the interview process now that people don't think of, right? You come prepared with what you want to talk about and how you're going to answer these tough questions that you know they're going to ask you. But people are forgetting about some of those nonverbal cues. So they do need to be coached on. Yeah. And so segueing into towards the tail end of this stuff is I get this a lot. And I know you have too, is we help these professionals out and candidates will apply on their own. And then they go, I haven't heard back. Yeah. And the ones that aren't qualified, yeah, you're never going to hear back. Let's just be real. You're never going to hear back because you're not qualified for that job. But the ones that are, you do have the internal direct for organization recruitment background. Why aren't they getting, I guess, pinged or responses back? Are there a couple different reasons? Well, I think it's a couple things. So when people are applying, I think it's important to be mindful of the jobs you're applying for. If you meet 70% of the requirements, apply to that job, right? And if it's what you want to be doing. Sometimes people will just apply to things going, well, maybe I'll get my name in there, right? You also, if a company has an applicant tracking system, though, you also get your name in the book of this is somebody who applies for everything we post, right? And that doesn't always go in your favor. So I encourage people to be intentional about the roles that they're applying to to make sure that what they're applying to is a fit for the job, it's going to ensure a higher response rate. Sometimes companies post something and they'll call it a pooling rack, they'll call it an evergreen, there's lots of different names for it, where it actually is a proactive recruitment tool. Mm. And companies do that if it is a position where they see all the time. So for an example, in aviation, I know I'm going to hire flight attendants. That's the core of what makes the business run. So we would do something like that where we would post a rec to proactively recruit people that we know we're going to have a need for. I don't believe that companies do it with the intention of just gathering resumes without an anticipated need, though. So there's a chance that they could do it. But I think if you're applying for a position and it is what you really want and what you really fit, that there is more opportunity than just putting your resume in and hoping that you're going to hear back, right? And we talked about LinkedIn, like it's a powerful tool. There's an opportunity to start networking into companies to back up an application you've already put in. Yeah, that's good to know. That's how you're going to start getting response rates. Right now, if anything, I find companies are actually a little hesitant to post positions because they're getting hammered with applications, given the fact that it's a pandemic. And there are a lot of people looking. Interject here is I want you to touch on something you're going. There are a few companies that I'm working with and we'll keep the names out of it, but they're going through heavy acceleration. And people know I work with this company or these companies 
and they go, hey, I just applied. Like, I haven't heard back. And they are a fit for the role. They legitimately are, are fits. Like, they'd be assets to the company. So what are some of the other things? Give it from the internal side. So people do understand because I'll tell them, hey, they're backed up. It's not that you're not good or that you're not a fit. It's just so I want to hear from your perspective because you come from the the in-house side. What are some of those that you could help people understand who are going through this and even different industries on their own to have a little more sympathy or understanding of the situation and maybe find some ways and maybe provide some solutions to work around that? Yeah, for sure. Well, from a recruiter mindset, then I guess for me, when I switched over into the recruitment world, it was really interesting for me to see how many roles a recruiter is working on at once. It's a lot, depending on if it's a heavy growth company, there could be a lot of positions. Are we talking internally or externally? I'm talking about internally. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm talking about internally as a recruiter, recruiting for company XYZ, right? There's a lot of positions they're hiring for at once. And because they're hiring for a lot of roles, they're all important. That's why they're getting hired for. But there is a priority, right? There's certain roles that you go like, our business cannot function unless that position's filled. So what happens is if you're a candidate and you're applying for one of those other positions, it's still important to the organization. And at the same point, the organization needs to fill this other position first because it is absolutely business critical. Yeah. Well, that creates a bit of a delay sometimes right? There's also in an interview process, some managers are highly involved in reviewing the applicants. They're excited about this potential of getting to see everybody that's applied. And other times you have a recruiter going, I'm only going to give you the top five resumes. Mm -hmm. So depending on who's in charge of what, on what position, it could add a delay. Because if it is a hiring manager saying, I really want to be involved, and your recruiter says, go for it, look at them all, which I highly don't, I highly don't advise. There's that manager's also juggling the priorities that they have to run the business department that they're in. So there's all types of different things that come up. The other thing is we hire using technology now. And technology sometimes relies on keyword searches. It prioritizes clients that or resumes that come in that fit the criteria the highest. So depending on the scale of the company and the vast number of resumes they might be getting, there might not actually be a person on the other end reviewing each and every resume. So that sometimes is also why people don't hear back. Yeah, and I agree. And so I'll wrap it up with this question. We've talked about how things have changed and really where they are at now. Where do you see things going the next five, 10 years? I think technology is just going to keep leveraging it. And what I think is exciting is because we're already starting to see more companies that might have been a little archaic in how they do things before, starting to move towards remote workforces. We've all had a bit of a trial (laughs) of what it's like to have a remote workforce. And I think that's going to keep going. So to me, it adds such an exciting opportunity that regardless of where you live, You can work for some companies that have always been on your wish list because you don't necessarily need to be located there anymore. I think it's an opportunity to look at industries that maybe aren't dominant in the town you live in. And there's an opportunity to to really show up for them. And to me, I think that's a really exciting part. I think the way we use LinkedIn, the way we use social media, the way we use things like video. 
are going to replace a lot of those traditional job searches and how you attract candidates. And I fully believe in five years from now, Chris, we're going to be looking back at this podcast and going, remember when we thought this was so hip and cool? Yeah. Resumes, right? Like, do you think resumes will still be in existence and somehow technologies will have ATSs that link and sync up to LinkedIn to where you just, you hit interested or apply and then it uses your LinkedIn profile as a resume? Yeah, there's a lot of companies that are doing that already. And I think it just depends on how high tech is that company and are they early adopters of new software? Mm. A lot of companies now, and what I'm starting to see is companies are moving away from the resume sometimes. Not always, but sometimes it's still important. I think as time continues to go on though, it's about easy application. Yeah. I don't want this candidate to have to fill in 15 boxes and put their resume in because we all know none of us like to be on the other end of those 15 boxes, copying, pasting your resume in. A lot of companies now are starting to say, what can we do to shorten, right? Like shorten that process because it's about the candidate experience and companies are starting to see that if you make it too long of a process, you're losing everybody on the way. Yeah, I agree with I you. I think that one click apply is going to be something that's so much more important in the future. And I would even say, Probably doubling down on LinkedIn if you're a professional to really take the time now to invest. And that leaves me with this is for those who could use some help, guidance on just interviewing, career coaching, LinkedIn, you know, we've really made it a real big topic about LinkedIn, which is good because this is really starting to become the way. How do professionals get a hold of you? What is the best way? Yeah. It would be really difficult for me to have chatted to you this whole time about LinkedIn and not tell people to find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it'd be difficult for me to end it like that. <laughs> you know, I have a real awkward parting of our ways here. But LinkedIn is the easiest. So it's Leah Harrigan, career co pilot. I have it attached to my phone, I have it attached to me wherever I go. And it's always the easiest way to get the quickest, fastest response. Perfect. And then email as well which I will be putting in the podcast in the uh, notes section. Yeah, absolutely. So leah.harrigan at careercopilot.ca. Perfect. Well, everybody tuning in, thank you for joining and hearing out Leah. And Leah, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to have this discussion and just kind of recatch up and discuss some of the more important things moving forward for professionals. Yeah, I appreciate it. I thoroughly thank you, Chris for letting me have this opportunity to do this with you. Yeah, sounds good. All right, everybody. Take care. Thanks so much.